This is the inaugural event. I am, I am so excited for this moment. You know, first I wanna make sure that I, I pay homage. So I wanna thank the creator for this moment in time, for everybody who's gonna be tuning in, everyone who's gonna be watching with us. I'm really thankful for that. And uh, I wanna pay homage for myself. I'm on the traditional territory of the Algonquin people. So I wanna make sure I pay homage to the land that I reside on. And I wanna thank our guests specifically. You know, Justin, I appreciate you being part of this inaugural event. And uh, it means a lot to me. You know, I reached out to you and you were one of the first people that responded. So I appreciate you. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, we crossed paths at the Kamloopa powwow. I think it was last year. Yeah. And uh, man, that was the first time we actually really crossed paths physically. So I'm, uh, I'm really grateful and wanted to thank you for taking your time out of your day. I know these COVID times are challenging and it's in its own way. So thank you for con contributing to this whole no blueprint, man. It means a lot to me for real. And also everyone who's tuning in, we got, we got people tuning in on our Instagram. You know, the Zoom is a different platform. We're live on, on Facebook. And I want to make sure I pay homage to the audience because everybody who's tuning in you know, there's a great opportunity here to learn something. You know, I'm an artist entrepreneur myself, and there's been no blueprint to help me get me where I'm at. And so to have Justin here to share his story, where he comes from, the intentions of this podcast is really to help give you some guidance or perspective or experience about how you can, you know, navigate whatever industry you're, you're passionate about. And I feel so fortunate to have, you know, a guest such as Justin, who's here, who's accomplished so much. And, you know, like, there's so many ways we can get into this thing. And usually a bio would, would happen at this point. But I really feel this whole No Blueprint podcast is a bio. So I'm going to let our special guest, Justin Lewis, provide us some perspective of where he came from. So before we get started, though, Justin, let's, I just want to warm up a little bit. I'm going to do an icebreaker with you. What is, what is one of your favorite early childhood memories? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, you know, probably when I was growing up, my dad was a, a rodeo cowboy. So a lot of my, my childhood was riding sheep and, and riding horses. And so, you know, hitting the rodeo trail with my dad when I was young was, was one of the, the fun things that we used to do. We used to travel all over into the prairies and then, you know, all the way down into to the States. So that's probably like one of the, the things that sticks out in my mind. It's amazing. A childhood memory, you know, is with your family. I think that's really important. And speaking of that, man, tell us a little bit about, <coughs> you know, a lot of people may not know where you're from. Um, so let us know where you're from and where did you grow up, man? Yeah, so I was born and raised, I was born in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, Treaty 6 territory. And I was raised out in Muscochese, Alberta, on Treaty 6 on uh, the Samson Reserve. So that's where my, my dad and his family are all from and my mom is from New Mexico originally so I've got kind of family spread out all over but I was born and raised in the prairies so nice and uh where do you live now I live in uh Skokale First Nation which is in Chilliwack BC unceded Stalo territory so it's where I lay my hat nice what was it like leaving home for the first time to travel to the to your new home where you're at now well it's crazy because I I mean I moved away when I was as soon as I finished high school, I moved to California. So that was a big culture shock coming from a, a reserve in the middle of central Alberta and then ending up down in California. And it was such a different world for me. So, you know, and that was fresh out of high school. I hadn't lived, you know, I'd lived with my parents my whole life. And, you know, I got recruited to go play baseball down there. You know, me and my twin brother, you know, packed up our stuff at the end of summer and moved to California. And it was, it was like a, a whole new world for us. So, but it really opened my eyes to, you know, I guess a lot of stuff, what's outside the reserve. You know, so. so as and, a young person, you mentioned you played baseball. Yeah. What was that like, man? Give us a little bit of insight about what, what it was like playing baseball. Why <laughs> baseball anyways. Yeah. Well, I started, you know, playing baseball probably when I was 12, we started, you know, playing competitively and so there was a small team you know and you know we played with in my reserve and then as me and my brother kind of got older we kind of got better and you know we ended up having to go play you know in the neighboring towns and then eventually in the city to play at I guess the highest level you could 
play at. And that led kind of, you know, eyes to get exposure and scouts and all that stuff. And, and we ended up getting recruited to play down in a junior college in California. And, wow. you know, it was, it, you know, I look back on it, it was, it was pretty cool. It was, you know, I, there's a lot of things that, you know, I, I probably would have never got to do or experience if it wasn't for baseball. So that was kind of a, a bridge for, you know, getting outside of the reserve and, and seeing what else is out there and what's possible. So, Is that what you mean by not uh, experiencing t certain things if you didn't play baseball is like going outside of the reserve and, and doing different things? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I had, you know, when I was in high school, I had no interest in going to college at all. <laughs> I, was, I was the last of my you know, but in order to keep playing baseball, I had to go to school, right? So it kind of forced, forced my hand at, at the, the post-secondary education thing. And then through that, I ended up, you know, going into business school, which kind of got me to where I'm at today, you know, at least like a step in that direction. So there's all these little pieces that, that led to one thing, led to the next, and, and that's kind of where I'm at, so. Nice. Was it just baseball you played as a youngin? I played hockey. Hockey and baseball up until high school, but I was a better baseball player than I ever was a hockey player. So interesting. And just baseball was was kind of like my passion, you know. So nice. I'm uh, I can relate to you. I grew up not necessarily playing the same sports, but I played soccer my whole life, you know. And then I transitioned <laughs> into basketball, and I think those were really good building blocks in the sense of learning how to work as a team and just leadership skills, competitiveness, and just a healthy upbringing. I think it really helped keep me out of trouble at the same time. Yeah. Some would argue differently, but I think <laughs> it really did help. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I kept me out of trouble for sure. You know, I was a restless teenager, just like probably everybody else was, but you know, I had a schedule to, to play sports and that was kind of kept me off the streets from doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. So no doubt. So this is going to be a bit more of a, of a challenging question, but I'm going to give you some context here. It wasn't until I was in my early twenties. So this isn't like back in, I would say 2008, 2009, uh, the truth and reconciliation commission had their first national event. Um, in Winnipeg at the Forks, and I got hired as sports tent coordinator. And my mother's from Ocean Man First Nation in Saskatchewan, Nakota. Um, I have really close ties with my family. But, you know, being part of that event in Winnipeg was the first time I was exposed to that part of my history as a young person. And so that's when it started for me, I understood more about my identity, more about how my grandmothers were treated, more about how my relatives on on Ocean Man First Nation, my aunties and uncles were treated. So my question is, you know, when did you start learning about your identity and understanding who you are as a human being? Well, see, I was, you know, obviously I was raised in my community and I was surrounded by my aunties and uncles. And so from a very young age, you know, they were always kind of instilling, you know, who we are as, as Cree people and, you know, we're treaty Indians, you know, so I grew up kind of immersed in, in that surrounding and, you know, even to this day, you know, my aunties, they still talk about all that stuff. So, you know, but to really, you know, going, you know, being, you know, a fair skinned kid in the reserve was tough as well, you know, because, you know, I wasn't, I didn't look native enough for some people. And then growing up, you know, going to school off reserve, I was not white, you know, I was native. So there was always that kind of a bit of an identity struggle there for me, you know, and then as I got older, you know, it was, it was challenging, but Oh, I've always I've always held on to to being indigenous, and then as I got older and I became comfortable in my skin, you know, it was more of a sense of pride that I carried, you know, and and wanting to go back and you know and being moved living away from home, you know, kind of made me realize how important that aspect in my culture is in my life, and so that kind of pushed me back to to really spend more time back home when I can, you know, because when I was in college you know, last thing on my mind was coming home, you know, but there's a, as I lived away from home for a long time, I started to kind of feel a void, you know, and starting to feel disconnected from my culture and, and my family and all that stuff. And so it just really reinstilled, you know, how important that is to us as Indigenous people, right? And to, to maintain that connection. And, and even for people who are, are just trying to regain that connection, right? It's such an empowering thing for people. So, man, that's uh that's deep i appreciate you sharing that and like i can relate to you in a sense of you know what you look like on the surface like i'm i'm fairly dark i would say 
Yeah. You know, my father's from Kingston, Jamaica. And so for me, even still today, you know, in the sense of, you know, being a public figure, being in front of, in front of large audiences and going out there and being like, hey, I'm an indigenous person and representing for indigenous people. There's always that kind of feeling of what it's supposed to look like. You know what yeah. I mean? And so I love our generation and how we're breaking down those stereotypes. I think we're all human beings at the end of the day and our relationship to the family, our land and where we come from, I think is, is really where our indigeneity comes from. So I appreciate you sharing that, man. I can totally relate to you on a lot of those things. So as a person, you know, growing up playing, playing baseball, you know, navigating your identity, stuff like that, who were some of the people that you looked up to? Who were some of the, the celebrity idols maybe in your life at that time? I mean, obviously playing baseball, you know, my, most of my, you know, the people that I did look up to were, were athletes for sure. So um, I hadn't, you know, when I was in college and playing sports, it was, you know, it's mostly focused on sports, but I started paying attention to, to, you know, guys like Jacoby Ellsbury who were indigenous and who had made it to that next level. Right. And, you know, and not even just, I guess, baseball, but hockey as well, you know, guys like Jordan Tutu and, you know, playing hockey against him when I was at a very young age and then seeing him on TV, you know, playing in the NHL, you know, those were the, the kind of people that I looked up to. Right. Nice. So. Who were, who were some, what are your friends like? Like who were some of your childhood friends growing up? Oh man, I have like a, a group of, of childhood friends, you know, I've got some guys, you know, some non-indigenous friends who were some of my best friends and, and, a couple, you know, I still talk to some of them to this day. And then I've got, you know, my buddies from the reserve that I grew up playing hockey with. And then I've got a, a bag full of guys from college that, you know, I've, you know, as you get to that age, those guys become your family when you're living away from home. And so they're still some of my best friends and I still talk to them, you know, almost every week. So amazing. How, how some of them influenced who you are and like even some of your career choices today? <laughs> Was a good way or a bad way? No. <laughs> no, whichever you want to share, my man. No, I mean, they're all unique in their own ways. And, you know, they've, some of them are crazy. Some of them are, you know, we're all getting to the age where we're having kids and settling down. But, you know, like one of my best friends, he's, he was always a gym freak, right? So he's always kind of influenced to try and stay in shape and be healthy in that sense, you know. And then you've got, you know, some of the other guys who are just, you know, focused on sports and stuff and you, they have that work ethic or, you know, they understand business or they, you know, some of the guys that we, you know, I know have ended up becoming pretty successfully in, in business. Right. And so I've always like looked up to them as like, wow, these guys made it, you know, they were able to do something from nothing. Nice. You know, everybody has their own, I guess, different strengths and stuff. For sure. Elaborate a little bit about what you mean by, by made it you know, from your perspective, what does that, what does that mean to you? It's that, I mean, I find that's kind of a loaded question, but I guess some of these guys coming from, you know, the, their, uh, their families were from Mexico, right? They're first generation, you know, Americans and their, their mom and dad had immigrated from Mexico to kind of create a better life for their, their family. And, and some of these, these guys, you know, they made it in the business world, I guess, if, if you want to say it in the corporate world, you know, and, there's the, there's the financial success, right? But there's also, I think, I look more at like the stability for your family and, and being able to put a, a roof over your head, you know, and for your kids to, to be able to, to be in a safe environment and to, to have access to their family and, and all that stuff, right? And the way I look at it is, you know, I think their parents are pre pretty proud because that was what they envisioned when they were coming from, you know, down in Mexico and coming into, a foreign country and you know everybody's got that american dream but you know i think success means a little bit of different stuff to everybody right and so you know i guess in that context it it has to do with where their their roots come from right and, and what they were able to do you know for the sacrifices that their family made for them so no doubt so let me just try and recap here a little bit you know growing up on the res uh, playing sports baseball was your favorite you know hanging out with some of your friends close friends you still talk to today being positively influenced that way tell us a little bit about your some of the jobs you worked earlier on as a kid like what was one of your first jobs that you've ever had my first job was at mcdonald's man I was, oh wow 
Yeah, I was taking orders, working the drive-through. You know, if I got lucky, I got to flip burgers in the back. Um, but yeah, I was. I must have been thirteen or fourteen, whatever. I was old enough to to go to work. You know, I was. A bunch of my buddies were working at McDonald's, so that was like the cool place to work in town in a small town, right? So wow, man, that's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. And um, what was what was one of the worst jobs you've ever had? Um. Ooh, I did, I did, I had a temp job right out of university doing, no, 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 this was before I graduated. I was selling shoes okay. in, in, in a mall, in a, in a department store. And not that there's anything wrong with it, but I just wasn't, I'm not a seller like that, you know, like to go up and greet people in the store and immediately trying to like push something on them. That was, it was just not something that I vibed with, you know, but I had to, to, to make some money. So, of course. Okay, and then one of the best jobs you've ever worked at? Um, there's a, I mean, obviously, section, you know, being my own kind of brainchild, and that's probably like, you know, that takes the cake right now. But, you know, when I, my first real job out of university, um, I worked for a big, for not a, a startup real estate, I guess, investment firm. And it was started by kind of a guy who broke off from a big corporate investment firm and started his own outfit and he gave me a, a job working in the mail room and basically from you know the ground up I, I learned a lot about business entrepreneurship uh, marketing business development you know even graphic design you know I worked you know and that kind of really was the the catalyst for my interest in graphic design and, and what I do today with section right and working very closely with a graphic designer and, and learning kind of the basics of design programs and the foundation of design and all that stuff. So um, that's probably the one that I look back at, the, at you know, and then even just the, the CEO that gave me the job, you know, some of the advice that he gave me and just seeing where he ended up, you know, even after I left that company and, and moved back home, you know, seeing what he was able to achieve, he kind of was able to do what he had planned on doing all along. Right. And I remember reading in a, a business newspaper, you know, some years later about his, you know, his big business deal and basically walked away from it, you know, and I was like, wow, that was what he had in mind this whole time, you know, so it was cool to, to at least have a part from the ground up, you know, being, you know, at that time. And it was right in 2008 when the economy had tanked down there. So I was, I was lucky to have a job, you know, my, my roommate lost his job. He was on unemployment, you know, like everybody was losing their jobs, their houses, Sounds and, a little familiar, no? Yeah, it's it's oddly familiar. <laughs> so, but he was, you know, it was scary. It was a scary time, you know. And I was just thankful to have a job, you know. I wasn't making a lot of money, but you know, I was I was able to at least pay some of my bills and, and go to work every day, whereas people didn't have that that opportunity. Right? right. So that I have I have so many amazing questions from that. Like, did you always see yourself working for yourself? Is that something? that you've always had in vision? Like, when did you know that working for someone else maybe didn't resonate with you as much as what you're doing now? I think the longer that I, I started working, you know, and most of my professional life has been kind of working in the corporate world. And I've kind of grown like a disdain for the corporate world in a sense, just because it is, it's cutthroat, right? You know, and, and there's, you know, in that kind of world, you're, people are expendable, right? And I don't, people are assets, but they're also expendable. And, and so, you know, working for somebody else, you know, you start doing stuff that you don't really enjoy doing mm. and realizing that like, man, I, I hate going to work or I don't, I'm not really feeling this. You know, if I did my own job, I could make my own hours or I could do my own, you know, make my own schedule. That was kind of like starting to grasp that concept of being able to work on your own schedule and your own time and work on something that you actually are passionate about, right? And so it's probably like somewhere midway through my professional life where I started to realize, you know, maybe there, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but, or how I'll do that. But that's kind of where I realized that, okay, that to me, that's living the dream is working for yourself. Right. Right. Whatever that means. As a young person, did you always imagine yourself working in clothing or in these corporate worlds or did you see yourself as something else? Honestly, the, the clothing thing, no. Um, you know, I think the corporate world is, 
you know, going to business school, I find like that's kind of, you know, the, the business school mentality, it, it kind of socializes you for the corporate world, right? Like a lot of your, your education in, in business school is focused on corporate, you know? And so like, you kind of get steered in that direction in a sense. And that's kind of how I felt now that I look back, it was like, I, you know, coming out of business school, it's like, oh, I want to work in like a big tower downtown and work in the business district. And, you know, now that I'm, I've done all that stuff, realizing that like, you know, we're kind of led in that direction, you know, if you don't think for yourself, like it's easy to be socialized and pushed into that, that world. And then just experiencing it myself, you know, it was cool to say that I did all that stuff, but, you know, did it really fulfill, you know, it didn't really fulfill what I was seeking anyways. Right. So then what was that, what was that transition point for you? Like when, when did you develop the idea to develop your clothing business? When did that really start to become your reality? Um, probably I was in Vancouver and, and uh, I was playing baseball. I'd moved back to Canada. I was done, you know, kind of the competitive baseball and I started playing just men's league, you know, to pass the time on, you know, a couple of nights a week and on the weekends. And, and one of the guys that it's kind of a funny story because I, I uh, responded to a Craigslist ad for who was looking for baseball players. Cause I didn't know I had moved to Vancouver and didn't know anybody there. Right. So I was like, well, I got my baseball equipment. At least I can play baseball. Maybe I'll meet some people, you know, and responded to a Craigslist ad uh, for baseball players, you know? And so I ended up going to this dude's house randomly because he was like, yeah, we got a game. Come check it out. You know? So I ended up being that guy owned a, a screen printing shop. Right. And he ended up becoming uh, my business partner, you know, so he handles all the production, you know, most of our production anyways, for a section, but it started with just, you know, I always had, you know, I bought a computer and started designing and stuff. And he was like, Oh yeah, I can print t-shirts and whatever, you know, so I started making, t-shirts with an old hockey logo from my reserve you know and that kind of was like you know I made a small run of them and sold them to some family and some friends and stuff like that and that was just kind of like hey maybe we could do something with this you know and he was how like yeah at that time what's up how old were you at that time man I was like it was in 2013 so seven years I was like 30 I just turned 30 okay you know? and that was really kind of like the, the catalyst for, you know, and I had seen, there was a few, you know, I was friends with Shosho Esquiro and she was kind of a big inspiration for the, the indigenous fashion, but there wasn't a whole lot of a, a market out there for indigenous streetwear. And I've always loved streetwear and stuff like that, surf and skatewear. And t-shirts was obviously like the, the easiest thing to, to do. And so I was like, well, we should do a brand, you know, like an indigenous brand, you know, I only saw like one, one or two brands out there. And so I knew there was nothing really, at least that I, you know, gravitated towards a whole lot, you know, and I was like, maybe we can do something. And I always envisioned like creating something that people are stoked to wear and represents who they are and, and whether it's dope graphics or, or slogans or whatever it is, you know, and that was, really kind of the initial idea and it just kind of grew from there so so elaborate about uh reflecting on some of those things to represent who you are like your logo is so powerful mm -hmm. i don't know if a lot of people really know how that came to be so tell us the creation story of the logo before you go into like really what it represents okay yeah i mean section 35 like you know a lot of some of the work i did was based around you know rights and title stuff you know and in consultation and you know understanding the the framework of you know i guess your rights being enshrined i don't know it was just something that sounded really cool but also there was you know a little, little bit of a political undertone to it so you know the name came first and then the design we sat down and you know we just found a simple you know, typeface. And then it was just like, you know, I was like, there's gotta be like a feather or something, you know? And so we, we drew up a feather and, you know, it, honestly it came together pretty seamless. Like logo, if you ever do graphic design logos are sometimes they're like the worst things to do because they can, you can go through so many revisions, but we did a logo and, you know, just thinking about the feather and, and the foundation of the business and the messaging and it just kind of, you know, I was like, it's a talking feather, you know, like people, when people get up and speak and they hold that feather, you know, 
you know who's speaking and nobody talks right and when those guys talk it's you know it's truth you can you tell the truth right and so it all just kind of you know funneled into what the foundation of the brand is right and so that's been kind of our staple logo for a long time and it's it's a strong logo Um, i think that's unique to actually say in the sense that you've incorporated so much history into that logo you talked about it being a talking feather you know and you talked about truth and you talked about incorporating a lot of those cultural teachings that mean a lot to indigenous people um why do you think that's so important for you like why was that such so intentional you know what i mean for you as as uh as part of this co-founder as section 35 why was that so important i think it's just it's it's the world the lens that we look through as indigenous people right and i think trying to be as authentic as you can and and speaking from the heart and being you know saying what you mean and and meaning what you say and just something that's original and and if you're indigenous or even if you're not like it it means something right and and so it it just comes natural i think so nice man it's a a cool logo and it's i think there was a quote you said at at a at a presentation you're doing i think it was in your first nation reserve actually and you you brought up that a simple t-shirt can make the biggest kind of impact you know mm-hmm. i feel like something as as simple as a feather inside of a circle has such meaning and depth and value and such a positive impact so i think that's powerful on its own my man and think in transitioning to that you know i, I remember you know reflecting more on that that uh, presentation you did and you mentioned that you weren't really into fashion shows at the time <laughs> and i think like up to date if i may vancouver indigenous fashion week indigenous fashion week toronto the uh ota ota piaki fashion week right did i say that yeah. right in calgary um you did a gallery in santa fe so tell us a little bit about what goes into preparing yourself for a fashion show like I come from putting on events. I've hosted a, an annual art music and fashion show every year, but I'm just, I'm like more or less the organizer. So I help bring in a lot of the talent to showcase what they do. But as a designer, like what goes into preparing for a fashion show? Man, it's, it's tough because, you know, like and when I always said, it was like, ah, oh, I don't like fashion shows, but like, you know, our, our staple clothing is, is not necessarily stuff that you see on the runway. So I mean, you could put it on the runway, but for me, it's like, if I'm going to put something on the runway, I want a little bit, you know, to step up my game a little bit, you know, so a lot of that usually involves me making custom one of a kind pieces and paying a little more attention to, to what I'm making. And so usually it's a lot more preparation and creation on, you know, more unique pieces rather than, you know, some of our staple lines, you know, and so I like to create something that you know, hopefully turns heads or at least people, when people see it, they're like, Oh, that's dope. You know? So. Tell us a little bit about like the time frame in the sense of creating something. What, what is the time that goes into creating something from scratch? Man. It, I mean, it could be generally it like takes me months, you know, like I start working on multiple pieces. I'm, I'm kind of a, I guess a, scatterbrain at times I've got multiple projects always going on so it's like from one piece I'll I'll get an itch and I'll be like okay I'm gonna work on this and then I'm like oh I've got to go over here and you know so there's always a lot of moving parts uh like Toronto uh Indigenous Fashion Week Toronto which was supposed to be held here in in the end of May you know I'm still working on that stuff you know even though it's postponed but like I started working on that stuff in January right so you know, it's a lot harder now for me with, with a family and, and stuff because I've got to juggle those schedules, but it's months, you know, and, and a lot of times, like, as I've got, you know, I guess more experience, I'm trying to create a more cohesive collection rather than, you know, kind of sporadic pieces. And, and even that itself is challenging, you know. So. See, I asked that because I appreciate the journey that it takes to create something. You know, as an artist, it takes me months, sometimes years to create an album. And I think sometimes people may not, they just see the end product, right? They see the fly sweaters, the the hats and the logos and, you know, all the campaigns that go behind it. They just see that, you know, available to the public. But what they may not know is like all the work, grind, hustle, creativity. You call yourself scatterbrain, but I would say that's a creative mind. And I think 
you know, there's a lot of work, like it takes months sometimes to produce, you know, one piece of clothing that you really can stand behind and feel good about. So I think that's important for anybody who's looking to start a business or into the clothing. It's not always what you see on the forefront. You know what I mean? There's a lot of grind and grit that goes into it. You know, you have to manage your life. You have to be able to, you know, manage all the things that go into creating a piece. Like we didn't even talk about what is the process in creating a hoodie. Like we didn't even go into that. You know what I mean? But without, without going into that, I wanted to know a little bit more about, you know, you talked about fashion shows. I wanted to now share, I wanted to hear what your experience was like at that LA pop-up that just happened kind of recently. Right. So last summer. Yeah, share with I us mean, we had, what it was like, man. How did you how did you line that up? Well, it's crazy because that kind of was, you know, the genesis of that whole pop up started with, you know, the the collaboration that we did, and, and I'm part of a collective uh, called Obsidian, and, and a shout out to the anybody from Obsidian who's watching. Big shout out, big shout out. Uh, that's myself and, and four other artists: uh, Natani Means, Yaz, like Jaws, OXDX and uh first citizen so there's five of us in, in this collective and we ended up linking up with the hundreds out in la which is like one of the long-standing street brands out there and, and they've got a, a shop up on fairfax which is kind of like la streetwear central you know and so through our kind of initial design process and, and working with them kind of deciding on what this drop's going to look like but the idea kind of came up with like well what if we did a pop-up down here they happened to have, you know, a shop that was going to be open for, for renting for a couple of days in, in the summer. And they were able to, you know, and shout out to those guys. They gave us a really good deal on the space because it's, it's not cheap. Right. Okay. And the thought was like, well, what if we brought, you know, the res down into Fairfax, you know? And so we all ended up kind of putting together our, you know, some merch for stuff. And, and we tried to make an event for it for a couple of days and it ended up being pretty dope because we had natives coming in into the, the pop-up and hanging out and they were just like, man, I'm from around here and there ain't never been anything native on Fairfax, you know, wow. and people were coming from, you know, hours away to just to come and see a bunch of natives hanging out on Fairfax and selling their clothes. And, and we had some of our, our friends out there who, you know, our performers come down. And, and so we tried to do little like events every night and, and socials and, you know, it ended up being a, a success. Everybody had a lot of fun and, it was just, you know, I think, I, I hope maybe one day we can go back and do that again. But, you know, that was, that was a special time for sure. Is there a favorite event or a show that you've attended as of recently that really resonates with you? Like a, a fashion show or yeah, a fashion show, or like you also did a gallery in Santa Fe, right? Like yeah. any, any type of event that you attended, was there a favorite that really sticks out to you? I mean, last year we, we actually did the, the indigenous people's day celebration with the city of LA and, and that probably was one of the, my favorites. We got to end up actually doing the fashion show. We showcased the, the hundreds and obsidian collection that maybe we debuted it there. And, but there was performers, you know, from all over, you know, representing their, their nations there, you know, there's rappers, singers, you know, fashion people. And it was just a day long celebration of like indigenous people and, and the, Columbus Day being abolished in the city of LA, right? So, wow. um, and that was the, I guess the the kickoff to that collaboration, and, and we dropped the the collection that night, and you know people ate it up, and it, it was it was a pretty cool thing to see. So I look back at that, and you know, I think you can ask any of the guys in Obsidian that that was probably that's one of our highlights. Yeah, so that's massive. Wow, man, that's really incredible. So you talked about Obsidian. I think that's an, uh, an amazing collaboration with so many amazing trailblazers out there. And I think it's so fascinating to kind of just reflect on a little bit about what you're saying. You know, we have, we have this young, young kid from the res who started this clothing brand. And as a result, with all of your relationships and connections with people, your friends, you know, the people you looked up to are now like in the game for real. Like some of those artists without saying names, they're making big waves out here and doing big things. And so for all of you to collaborate on something like Obsidian makes such a huge impact. And you, you said it yourself, there's kids who are rolling up to your, your pop-up and be like, yo, there's never been anything like this. And so I think that's so significant. And what, yeah, what is, I, yeah, go I, ahead, man. Yeah. I just, you know, and I, I'll give a shout out to, to Natani means and, and Yaz. They were kind of the, the first 
guys that connected with the hundreds and, and believed in, you know, my brand and the other two brands to, to come in and kind of help drive the creation behind that. And then just also Bobby hundreds, Ben hundreds, you know, all the guys over at the hundreds for, you know, trusting a couple natives to, to put together, you know, to collaborate with them on something and, and use their platform to share the messages that we push, you know? So I always just want to make sure that everybody gets, you know, no doubt. And like the reason I'm reflecting on that, I appreciate you bringing up those names is like, we're stronger together at the end of the day. You know, I think there's so many people out there trying to do it on their own. And I think that's such a good example of what it could look like if we were to collaborate on things, you know, if we were to come together as people and ha still have your own brand and still have your own thing and collaborate together, you can see the impact that it creates. So I think that's a, an important story just to kind of reflect on a little bit as we're navigating through your journey here, man. I appreciate that a lot. And I think another cool thing to bring up on that, on that note is like, you've always been recreating yourself, I think within section 35. You know, I think your earliest one, if I got this in chronological order, you know, fuck colonialism was, I think, one of the first campaigns that you had. Tell us a little bit about what that is, what it means. And yeah. we'll kind of go through this list a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we were, it was, and that kind of came up when I first, you know, we were getting ready to, to move towards an online launch. We'd been, we'd kind of been around for about a year, a uh, year and a half, but we hadn't really gone live. I was kind of just you know, I, I didn't have the confidence to really like put myself out there and put the brand out there because I didn't know, you know, there was nothing really like that. And so, you know, really hesitant and just unsure of myself, but just through networking and kind of telling people what I was going to do, you know, I got to a point where I was like, okay, we need to do this. So I wanted to kind of create something that was, you know, like in your face and something that really grabbed people's attention. And I remember the first shirt kind of like that was, from my my buddy Jared from OXDX down in, in Arizona and his said it would say Native Americans discovered Columbus or you know and, and that shirt you see that shirt everywhere yeah, but I was we need a statement like that right and yeah you know there was a lot of you know people doing stuff with decolonized and all of that stuff and I was just kind of like man fuck colonialism you know and, Straight up. and I was just oh shit we could you know we could do you know, maybe we could do logo flips or something. And the first one we did was uh, the Washington Capitals. So I, I just flipped the logo, you know, like not really thinking anything of it. I was just like, dude, this looks dope. But it looks like a hockey jersey, but it, it says fuck colonialism. Yeah. And I started kind of marketing it, you know, leading up to the launch, you know, and a day or two before the launch, we got a cease and desist letter from the NHL. <laughs> so, oh, really? That's, that's real right there. Yeah. And so we had, to pull, we had to pull it, but it, it kind of realized that like, okay, the, you know, people kind of, the message resonates with people. Right. So, well, it's even better, you know, like fuck Cologne. These guys have been stealing from us for a long time. At least we, they can let us steal their logos, you know? So, okay. What other logo can we flip from, you know? And so it moved into the, the, the coke logo right like in right so we just kind of kept spitballing with all these these ideas of like the irony of you know natives stealing from mainstream society and, and flipping it with a message that's you know anti-colonial so for real talking about colonialism let's get into canada don't 150 how mm -hmm. did that come to be man um that was ooh, that was a, leading up to the there's a canada 150 celebration that went on throughout the country and and i've been talking with my homie uh theo horn and she had shared some images from you know out in her territory and uh there was just they kind of just resonated with you know i guess the, where we were in a mind space right now of like ah oh, fuck colonialism and and she's like well what if we did some t-shirts right and i was like okay and some of them one of them was was a guy out from her territory and he had passed away but I was you know I'm always hesitant to use photos of people that I'm not related to or I have you know so it was kind of well maybe there's something we can do to raise money for you know a school or some type of programming and she ended up talking to the guy's family and explaining you know the, the campaign and, and the other picture was of her mom so we had permission to do both of that but you know the the real thing was I wanted to to use that anything we made off that bat and just drive it back into that territory because that was where those photos were from. Right. And so we ended up coming up and just 
making a small campaign with that and all the the revenue we made off that we pumped it back into a, a school out there that focuses wow. on language and culture revitalization right and so you know the the images were you know i i i still have them and i look at them and i still got one of the shirts too it's kind of ratty now but you know but those people really connected with that stuff and you know i was really happy with how that went man i think uh i appreciate that you know and like like I mentioned earlier, I, I do an annual art, music, and fashion show. I did it for five years. And when Canada was celebrating 150 years, you know, I was just browsing online on Facebook. And like, I saw so much hate being thrown towards that whole concept, like understanding the history. If you know the indigenous history, you can understand why that might be. But just sometimes I think throwing shade isn't necessarily a positive approach or a solution to anything. And so I dedicated my, it was my third annual art, music, and fashion show to like bringing up a context of indigenizing Canada and what that means. And so for you to create a line or something like that to give back, I think is, is the way to do it. If we want to make positive changes in the community, if we want to make positive changes in the world that we live in, it's about being creative and doing something positive. You know, I really think that's important. That's how we can really make change that's effective and uh, in a good way. So I appreciate you, man. Kudos to that. And moving into this next one, because I know everybody's going to recognize it when I bring it up. It's definitely been one of the most prominent, um, you know, logos that you created or, or brands that you created around it. Uh, let's talk about Kill the Mascot, Save the People, man. And I know for a fact that there was a moment that you saw a group of people, three people to be exact, that came out wearing this clothing line that was a real pivotal moment for you. So kind of share with us what that process was like man how did you get to that point yeah i mean that started you know the genesis of that oh man, yeah, man. it goes way back to almost when we before we even launched and, and that was done in collaboration with santiago you know homie of mine who's based out in chicago and uh i had bought you know the the, the dead hawks logo that's kind of the the foundation for that line i bought a painting off him that kind of resemble you know that was one of the originals of that piece just to collect because I was like oh this is dope you know like I really like it and just you know I spitballed with him I was like dude what if we you know collaborated you know we'd already started collaborating on some other stuff but you know before I'd even launched I was like dude I'm, I'm kind of launching this clothing brand would you be down to collaborate one you know he's like whenever you're ready let me know man we ended up you know after the NHL stuff pulled our got our stuff pulled I hit it with him up collaborated with him on um a couple pieces and then you know, the idea came up about kill mascots, you know, and so we spitballed ideas and he just threw it down one day that kill mascots save the people. And I was like, mm. I like that. I like that. It can work. And then just kind of, okay, though, let's, let's step up what we're releasing here. You know, so we started, you know, I got designed a bunch of patches, like Jersey patches. I was like, dude, we need a hockey Jersey. You know, obviously the yeah. Blackhawks are hot. You need a hockey Jersey. I but you know i went to the the thrift store and i bought a, a big like an, a used army camel jacket and i just like i did a kind of just a prototype and i was like oh that looks pretty dope you know with the rockets on it and yeah you know i ended up finding kind of like an army surplus store that could supply those to us and it ended up being a lot of work because we were you know we did everything by hand in the shop you know heat pressing and and all the stuff that we put on those jackets and it was just kind of painstaking even the hoodies and the t-shirts and then we got my my buddy Blair Russell to come shoot the lookbook and he's still probably one of my favorite photographers of all time like he's just got the eye mm. we just set up in our print shop you know we just we had a couple models come down you know some of our friends who modeled before and I was like let's shoot the lookbook I had Summer Peters from down in the states she's a dope beater I had her bead two uh like Dead Hawks medallions and I've still got one it's like hanging here somewhere and Crazy. Santiago got the other one but we just shot a really cool lookbook and, and kind of did like a, a decent sized draw, but it was kind of really putting the production level up about compared to what we'd done before. Right. Right. And that, you know, I, you know, I still think that probably really took our, you know, our game up a bit and put us on the map, you know, and that whole collection pretty much sold out like the first night, you know, and crazy, you know, I don't, we had never made that kind of, those kind of sales. We went, I think we had like, you know, the first, first couple hours we were at like 10 or 15 grand in sales and we were wow. just like you know this is unheard of you know we didn't yeah. ever expect that we were just you know small time you know and so 
people really like that stuff. Yeah. So we've done a couple of variations of it. And um, like you said, I like to kind of recreate myself in ways. And so I don't like to do too much stuff over and over again. Cause I get, I mean, I personally get bored of stuff. Right. But right. you know, I look back at that and that was, you know, I still look at the lookbook and, you know, and I remember like the first time that I saw kind of the guys from tribe called red wearing it, you know, and, right. And you this know, was that at was, a time where like they were at the hype of their career. Like, yeah, they were. Yeah, those guys were like the pinnacle. And, and right. uh, you know, I'd met them a couple times and, you know, I was like, you know, I'd love to get you guys some gear. And, and you know, they were, yeah, for sure, dude. You know, And then I remember they came to town and I went and hung out with them and I just brought a bag full of like the Kill Mascot stuff because I was like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, throw a Hail Mary. Yeah. And that night they all came out wearing everything that, that I gave them. And I was just kind of like, whoa you know and, and i right. just look back and seeing those pictures and i remember like where i was you know you know as far as the brand and at the time in the game you know i was still like just really fresh and green you know and so mm -hmm. me i was like these were like the guys at the time where i was like yo if i could have anybody wearing my stuff it would be tribe called red you know and Facts. shout out to those guys they've they've been supporters from you know ever since then and, and still to this day like i stay in touch with them and they support us so amazing I think there's something to say there, like, you know, kind of like music. I'm relating to your story in the sense that you never know which record or which thing you put out to the public is going to be a hit. You know, I think as a creator, we always go into it thinking every piece is going to be that hit. That's that's what's going through my mind anyways. And you never know. And like, I think to relate to you on another front. You know, I just asked you if you wanted to be part of this podcast and you agree. So sometimes you never know who's going to actually support you or reach out or reply unless you ask. You yeah. know, and I think sometimes you'll be surprised. So kudos to you for, for having that bravery to kind of just ask, you know, a tribe called Red, especially at the time, both yeah. in their career and in your career. I think that makes that makes that's it takes effort. It takes bravery. It takes courage to do that. So on that note of courage and bravery. I, uh, I put together some questions around, you know, the seven grandfather teachings. I try to fit them into that, to each one of those to kind of make this, you know, a little bit interesting, a little bit different. And I think we're already talking about courage and bravery. So how do you manage? I think this is a really important thing to talk about, but how do you manage your mental health and or any anxiety you may experience as a creator? You know, when you do these fashion shows, when you're putting on these galas, when you're working crazy hours and you're, you're managing your your personal life with your your business life like how do you manage your mental health man yeah it's tough you know i think being an artist you're you're always i think your biggest challenge is always yourself right like you're always it's easy to doubt yourself you're always loving something and then you hate it and every you know every time i release something i get nervous because i'm like dude what if it tanks you know because there's times where you know something you think is going to do really well like nobody vibes with and then there's mediocre stuff where you're like, oh, I'm not really, you know, I put it out, but whatever, but people really like it. And so it, it's stressful sometimes, you know, and for me, like, I guess I've, I've started to do it enough where I'm, I'm okay to just calm myself. But like uh, the best thing I can do is just unplug, you know, and focus on family and put the phone away, you know, because when you're building up to releases and you're marketing and you're doing all, you're, you're trying to read people's reactions and stuff and, you start to forget what's around you and what's important. And, you know, your kids want attention or your wife wants attention, you know, family needs you and you're just glued to your phone. And, you know, I've realized, you know, through trial and error that that's not healthy for anybody. Right. And so right. trying to, to find that balance between, you know, the creative work and being an artist, like I, I live in my head so much all the time, but right. just the biggest thing I think for me is just taking a break and trying to be present, you know, rather than getting wrapped up in what you got working on or what you're designing or what you're going to release, you know? And so yeah. probably big, one of the biggest things for me is just like family time and, and exercise, you know, if I can, I try to, to exercise and, and get a good sleep, you know? So those things are important. So really just, uh, <laughs> no doubt. And just to be intentional about this, cause I think it's an important topic is like, so you put your phone down is what you said. You put your phone away. So do you like put it on sleep mode and, you know, make sure that it's not part of your day or do you keep it close enough by where it's still in reach? Like well, intentional in the sense of disconnecting, just maybe elaborate a little bit more about how you disconnect. 
It varies. Yeah. I mean, like I've, I've gotten better at just completely turning it off or just leaving it in my office and not even paying attention to it. When I go to sleep, I turn it off, right? Like I don't, I try not to, to look at it. Nice. It's easy to be the first thing you do in the morning is to go look at your <laughs> social media. And, um, but I think a lot of it is like my wife, you know, she was a, an artist performer, you know, so she, she relates to, you know, the, the stuff as an artist and what you're trying to do. And, and she's helped me a lot through and like understanding how to manage, you know, my, my anxiety or, you know, the distractions that come with, you know, having your art or your work out in the public space. Right. And so she's, she's, you know, she's been really good to kind of like guide me through that stuff. Cause she did it long before I did it, you know? So mm. I think that's a good point too, is like, I think what you're really saying you know, correct me if I'm, I'm misinterpreting, but having somebody to talk to, having mm. somebody who knows you well enough to be there for you and kind of support you through those challenging times, whatever they may be, is yeah. really important. And I think that's uh, an important thing to, to say during these COVID times, to be honest, like, you know, if you're going through difficult times, you know, definitely exercise reaching out to the people you care about and have that conversation. Because I can tell you right now, like, if it wasn't for my weekly phone calls with my family that I have every week, you know, mm. I don't know where my mind would be at, you know what I'm saying? And, and thank, thank the creator and, and thank mankind for creating technology. And I yeah. think a lot of people could look at technology as, as a devil, but it's all about how you use it, to be honest. Yeah. And if we use it for the good and for the positive, we can make those positive impacts and you can take care of yourself. So I think you're making some really good points that through, through these busy times in your life as a creator, make sure you take the time to disconnect, make sure you take the time to connect with the people you care about the most and invest that time. Because when you do that, would you say you become a better creator as a result? Absolutely. I think like for me, probably having my son, you know, he's 20 months now, but like he's probably been one of the, the biggest like changes in, in how I approach things and he's also like super he inspires me as well right but he also forces me to you know to look at all this stuff and focus on what he needs you know and not what I kind of highlighted you know in a sense like before you really have kids like how focused you are on yourself and your ambition or whatever you want to do but when there's somebody that depends on you or wants your attention right like you realize you have that instinct as a parent you know you're like okay this is this can wait this guy is more important right now and so that's been probably like one of the, the biggest influences in in kind of helping me navigate through all these issues so amazing man i think that's a beautiful thing so on that note give us a, a day in the life of what it's like on a on a regular time frame obviously a day in the life now is a little bit different from what it would use it would normally be so what's a day in the life of justin lewis uh, well, obviously the, the little man wakes up at like, you know, some days he's up at six, you know, or he's up all through the night, whatever, but he's up early before everybody. So it's always easy getting him up, changing him, you know, getting him ready if he needs breakfast, take him downstairs. And then, you know, once he's kind of settled in, I'll go sit at my you know computer and generally like, because we run such a small team, there's email requests or, you know, whatever inquiries and stuff, you got to handle that um I, I work a day job so obviously like the early morning is kind of my my wiggle room to get certain things you know and then if I go to work and then on the weekends obviously like all design or there's production you know you've got to put together tech packs for production or you've got to fine-tune some designs uh there's a lot of different things reports you know I'm starting to to get better at like tracking things you know as you you start to run your own business you realize like pretty soon like your gaps you know when you first started and what you didn't you know you thought you knew everything but you, you learn as you go and you know so a lot of times it's not just creating right you know when you have you know bills to pay and stuff like that like it's it's running a business there's a lot that goes into that and managing your your bills and your costs expenses whatever it may be um you know that's a lot of what my time is is trying to figure out how do we get you know, and then when you have all that stuff kind of nailed down, it's like, okay, designs, how can you put together some designs? What is your next release going to look like? You're starting to look at calendars, right? Moving backwards from a calendar. And so 
you know, with the, the state we're in right now, like it's been, you know, it's kind of good because it's allowed me to really slow down and kind of look six to 12 months ahead, right? And start to work from there backwards. Whereas, you know, it, you know, I think the past year was such a big year for us that it was kind of like, go, go, go. You know, you didn't really have time to, to catch your breath at times. And it's easy to get lost in that. And I took a couple of months off because I was burnt out. I'm like, man, okay, I got to reevaluate this stuff. Mm. Um, so, you know, a lot of my days, you know, it's, it's business stuff. It's not so much creating, you know, most of my creating probably happens in the evenings when the kids go to sleep. Right. And, all that stuff's done and now I can sit down and I don't have distractions. Like I'm kind of finicky when it comes to this, to designing is I have a hard time. Like, you know, if there's kids running around and needing attention. It's hard for me to really focus in on, on the creative side of things. And I find my brain creatively turns on in the evenings. And so during the day, it's always, you know, mostly like the business, the operations, the day-to-day stuff. So. Man, that makes a lot of sense. Like, so there's, there's so many things to that. Like, I think a lot of people earlier on from what they see, they, they see the cool aspects. Like even when you drop a video and, and some yep. of the creation process of cool printers, it just, it has a vibe to it. You know, mm-hmm. and I think if you're looking to start a business, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. There's a lot of grind. Like there's a lot, there's doing a lot of things that you don't want to do in order <laughs> to accomplish the things that you want to. Um, so how do you keep yourself motivated to do the work that you don't enjoy? Like what is that thing that keeps you motivated, man? Usually it's the final product. I think, you know, getting like right now I'm, I'm working on kind of cut and sew for fall and winter. Right. So we're already ahead looking ahead and it's kind of sampling this whole, the whole prototype sampling process. It gets monotonous cause you gotta be, you know, you're specific with your design and, and the specs and stuff like that. And it's, it's challenging because sometimes, you know, it completely um, takes a long, it takes a lot longer than, my, I think my phone was dying, so I had oh, to just zip out there. Um, but it just, you know, t- it's it's time sense, you know, time consuming, but it's also time sensitive. And the the worst part, I you know, I really don't like is building tech packs for <laughs> product. Yeah, I like to see the end product, right? But you know, realizing, I think probably tracking on the calendar helps me. Like, you know, if I have, you know, I, you can't see, but I used to have a big visual calendar on the wall that my wife kind of was like, you should do this, you know, and I was on it, but, you know, working with people, you know, in the mainstream game, like the hundreds and seeing how they were, you know, it makes sense to work backwards. Right. And that kind of forces you, well, this needs to be done by this date and this date. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, running a business that's, it's not fun, you know, no doubt. But you got to get it done, you know, and I think it's just, the business, you know, you're kind of like the buck stops with you, right? So you just got to get it done. And sometimes you need to just get up and handle it. So so just to kind of dive into some of these things that you do in order to, to achieve, you know, your branding in a good way and, and go about it in, in a healthy way. How do you practice self-love, my man? What does that look like? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't have to think about that. How do you how do you stay in balance with everything that you got going on? Family life, work life, events. How do you keep yourself in balance? I've got you know I've got a lot of different hobbies. I mean, obviously, family. I, I try to go back home to my reserve as much as I can, and just you know, when I go home, I don't really do much. I just kind of ground myself, you know, at my parents' house, and it's just good to be kind of where you grew up, right? Um, family but like hobbies you know like I love to play guitar um you know my kids you know they love creating and stuff and so you know there's just a lot of different things you know spending time outside you know it's just I guess it kind of goes with like my my self-care right you know those kind of go hand in hand for me right nice so I'm gonna ask just a couple more questions my man and we can wrap this up because I think there's so much we've learned from you and you know, giving insight about what goes in behind the product, what goes in behind section 35, like there's a human being there, you know what I mean? So what does humility mean to you and how do you demonstrate that personally? Yeah, I think just, you know, one of the things, I guess that to try to be personable with people, you know, like I've, these people have kind of like got to know the brand and they realize that I'm the guy, you know, 
I try to respond to messages, you know, people who are spending money, you know, like just to be on the same level. I'm not better than anybody, you know, just because I've, I've, you know, done a few things. It's like we're all just humans on the same level, right? So, I, you know, I try to be personable. I don't think I'm better. You know, I don't, I, I try to respond as much as I can to, to customers and to, to people who follow the brand, right? So it's just, I think maintaining that personal, you know, as much as I can, you know, without like taking away from my family and stuff, but just trying to be real, you know, I think to me, like, you know, we're all just kind of on, do trying to do our own thing and trying to do the best, you know, with what we've got. And so just trying to keep it real, that's, a, you know, that's about it. Bless, man. I appreciate that. So in closing, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is, is such an amazing thing for me to experience on all the things that led up to how you got to where you're at. You know, I think that's an important thing to reflect on. I think a lot of times we have conversations about, you know, all the good stuff. And I think we talked a little bit about the grind and the grit that goes into manifesting. And so, you know, a big part of the reason why I wanted to do this No Blueprint podcast, you know, webinar series is to help provide inspiration to other people like us, man. You know, other people who are like us, maybe earlier or younger, you know what I mean? Who are looking at considering starting a clothing business or starting a podcast or getting into the entrepreneur space. I think I want to flood, you know, social media and flood all these avenues with people who reflect our ways of life too. people who are of indigenous descent, people who have a shared identity, you know, to be able to, to see us reflected in these social medias and what success also looks like. So in saying all that, you know, understanding the true intentions behind these things, what words of advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? So let's say, what would you have told yourself when you were 16, 17 years old? And like, what advice would you give to somebody aspiring to, to start a clothing business? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I look at like, the, some of the people who kind of had the, you know, I guess, influence in, in pushing me to do what I do, but I think the biggest, you know, probably one of the more thing, most important things is just to do it, you know, like, you never know until you try. Um, you know, I had, you know, the first person that believed when I told them this, the idea of starting a clothing brand, you know, I was like, preparing for them to kind of laugh at me, right. And they just said, just do it, you just got to do it, you know, and so if you believe in it, and you, and you think you can do it, then just do it, you know, and then grind work work you know that was probably and that's you know playing from playing baseball you know I was taught you know before I went to college one of my coaches kind of said he's you know you're gonna be at school with a bunch of guys who are just as talented as you and it's gonna come down to who works harder right so straight up so makes sense I've heard the saying where you know sometimes hard work can actually outdo talent you know what I'm saying so definitely grinding makes sense so to wrap this up tell us tell us a little bit about what's up next like what's going on with you right now um i know you just dropped a new water bottle so what's what's happening with you right now man what's going on yeah i mean we we actually dropped just a small collection today um part of the business you know and and just in me growing the business or shifting the business and, and some of the things that i'm really like inspired by is in the fashion is trying to create sustainability in in an industry that's kind of known for wastefulness. Right. And how do we as a small brand implement more sustainable practice and product and without also gouging the prices of, you know, making something that people can still have access to. And I struggle with how we do that without pricing out people. Right. And that's the thing is like, we also still want to make sure that our products are accessible for the people who, want to support and want to represent and so i'm constantly like trying to find ways to 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 try out sustainability and you know obviously today's release was it was all upcycled stuff you know most of it was you know dead stock and inventory that's just laying around that would never be used for anything right and so it was like well it's you know maybe we can and this was an idea i had you know last year was what if we you know we started like kind of just repurposing stuff and there's a lot of people out there that do that kind of stuff and but how can we do it you know and it was it was well received and so it's kind of got 
I guess a step in, in the direction that like I envision like long-term is like finding more sustainable ways, obviously like a new water bottle, like a reusable water bottle, you're eliminating plastic, you know, and, and the company that, that we collaborated with on these, and you can see one's right here, uh, mirror, you know, the bottle comes with a code and there's a code you can register and, and it actually tracks where the percentage of money that went into this bottle goes back into like projects around the world for, clean water right so you know all these little pieces of of stuff is is kind of like how can we as a brand do better and and then also i'll just be working on other ways to, to find ways to give back to the community and to initiatives that we believe in right amazing man ladies and gentlemen there you have it justin lewis co-founder of section 35 sharing with us his story, where he came from, and how we got to where he's at today. If you don't know how to reach him, you can check him out on Section 35 on Facebook. You know, you check him out on Section35.com. Um, follow his Instagram, Section 35 everywhere. Um, make sure you support a solid brand that's about giving back and I think has a sense of purpose and meaning. So Justin Lewis, we appreciate your time that you contributed to this No Blueprint series, you know, in this inaugural event. So thank you for your time, my man. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. And, and shout out to everybody that, that kind of checked it out. You know, thanks for, for tuning in. Thanks a lot for tuning in, Justin. We appreciate you, man. Thanks, man. Wash day. Um, this was an, an amazing inaugural um, No Blueprint uh, podcast webinar with Justin Lewis. I learned so many incredible things. And next up, we have Kenny Starr coming up next Thursday. So tune in next Thursday, 7 p.m. We're going to try and tighten it up a little bit with the timing. You know, we definitely went into an hour, which is crazy. And that just goes to show how amazing these stories are. Tune in next week, Thursday, 7 p.m. for our second episode of No Blueprint. Thank you to everybody who's tuning in. Shout out to Raven for making sure you keeping me in check. So I appreciate all this and uh, we'll see y'all next week. Wash day. Thank y'all for watching and thank y'all for listening.